This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Sitting here right with me is Matt Myers, MLB.com National Editor. Matt, hello. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm great, and I'm excited because we're going to talk about spin rate today. And but we're not just going to talk about spin rate. We're talking about with like the master of spin rate. Well, I don't know if he would like that title, but yes, we're going to talk about spin rate. Uh, we're going to talk about it with Kyle Bodie, who's the founder of Driveline Baseball, and uh, that's located in outside of Seattle, Washington. And Driveline does some really, really cool stuff. It's a it's a training facility uh, with pitchers or from high school to the pros, where they try to teach velocity, but but healthy velocity, how to improve your velocity while staying healthy. Uh, and he's also got all the TrackMan cameras that fuel StackCast, and he's done some really, really interesting stuff scientifically as far as you know how velocity uh, relates to spin, how you can try to increase spin, uh, and it, it's it's really become kind of a big thing. Like the public profile of Driveline has increased phenomenally since we talked to him on the show about a year ago. Yeah, and there's there's you know he does a lot of stuff with like weighted balls, and you know a few big leaguers work with him, Trevor Bauer. Um, you know we talked earlier in the podcast a few months ago about Casey Weathers. We did a big story about him on MLB.com. He's the guy you may have seen videos. Online of him throwing uh, a pull down drill, which is like a slight run up run, throwing 108 miles an hour. Um, so the stuff that Driveline doing is really kind of changing the game. And Kyle's sort of the founder, and so he'll we're, he'll be really interesting to talk to about a lot of the spin rate stuff and maybe and pitcher training. But Mike, for for those who are kind of first time listeners, maybe give a quick background on spin rate and kind of like the basics of what we know. Yeah, what we know is that uh, the faster a ball spins, I mean, that can change the way it moves, right? So for a fastball, if you have a very high fastball spin rate, uh, it tends to stay up and defy gravity. It's not going to fall as quickly as a hitter will think. So you'll get strikeouts, swing strikes, and you'll get pop-ups, which are basically as good as strikeouts. And we know if you have a very low spin rate on the fastball, it'll sink more quickly. You'll get ground outs. Uh, it's the opposite for a curveball because it spins the other direction. So a high curveball spin rate means the ball will dive into the ground and you're more likely to get strikeouts. So having a high spin rate is good. Having a low spin rate on a fastball can also be good. Having middle of the road spin, generally not so good. So, you know, pitchers, obviously, once they learn that, they want to try to mostly want to increase their spin because everybody wants to miss bats. But, uh, you know, it's, it's something that we've learned so much about in the last year or so. And I, I think a large part of that has been the work that Kyle has done. So uh, I'm very excited to welcome him on the show. Kyle Bodie, founder of Driveline Baseball. Kyle, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Kyle, I want to get right to it with a with an interesting question. People ask me kind of all the time, you know, how well correlated are spin and velocity? And you know what I usually say is over a large sample of pitchers, you know, not that much. For example, Rich Hill and Craig Kimbrell both have the exact same four seam spin rate, but Rich Hill throws 90 miles an hour and Craig Kimbrell throws 97 miles an hour. But as your research has shown that they kind of are correlated within an individual pitcher, right? As spin increases, uh, velocity kind of increases with it or vice versa. Uh, so why why is that, do you think? Well, you know, it, it clearly spin has something to do. It's a dynamic mechanical process, something that's unique to their mechanics. You know, the exact mechanism, we're not sure. Uh, but in a large study of individual pitchers, um, say Rich Hill throws, if he were to throw fastballs between 75, 76, 77, all the way up what, by one mile an hour, all the way to his maximum, 92, 95, uh, he would see like a very linear straight line relationship. Uh, our squared values were almost always above 0.95 um, for the athlete. Um, and so, 
basically you could predict someone's velocity or someone's spin rate from a fastball that was uh, perhaps 75, 80 miles an hour in a bullpen, and it offers you almost like a spin rate projection. It was a really cool finding. Now, what would it mean to you if a pitcher showed higher velocity and then his spin, you know, didn't go up or, or, or was unchanged? And I'm kind of I'm throwing you an unfair question because this is a pitcher you don't have the data in front of you for. But for example, Michael Lorenzen, who is a pitcher for Cincinnati, velocity went up on his four seamer from 94 and a half to almost 97, and his spin was actually down slightly, barely changed at all. Like if you saw one of your guys have those kind of numbers, what would that say to you? Oh, well, you know, the first thing we would do is try to, you know, find out some more of the data. We would take a biomechanical analysis and see, like, hey, you know, what has changed in his mechanics? Clearly something has changed in his mechanics. Whether that's good or bad, it just depends, you know. And then if his spin has dropped, perhaps his movement profile has changed. Uh, as we know, those two things are correlated. So maybe the way that he pitches is, is not effective. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's indicative of injury, but clearly there is some change in the mechanism, and that would be the first thing I would want to try to find out. Now, is that just mechanics, or could he, the change, could he be changing the way he's gripping the ball and how much of an impact with the grip he has on the pitch affect the spin, or is it mostly mechanics? You know, it seems to be mostly mechanics. We've done a lot of different things. Unless The, the only thing that really changed the grip were a, a very large change in grip, say like a, a moving from a fingers close together to almost a splitter grip. Almost anything in the middle had negligible effect. It was a pretty interesting finding. Yeah, Michael Lorenzen uh, told Mark Sheldon, our Reds.com beat reporter, that it was nothing mechanical and all mental. So I don't know how much I actually believe that, but that's what he says, at least. Um, yeah, know, interesting. Yeah. yeah, Kyle, one of your uh, – Trevor Bauer is probably your, your most high-profile client for uh, the Cleveland Indians. And he's, you know, obviously very, very uh, invested in the math and everything. And he's invented a metric he calls Bauer units, uh, which is basically RPM spin divided by miles per hour to kind of express the relationship between velocity and spin. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, and I'd just like to kind of explain to the people, you know, what this means and how to read it. For example, if you throw, if you had a hypothetical pitcher who threw 100 miles an hour uh, at 3,000 RPM, that'd be 30 Bauer units. Now, I don't think anybody can really do that. But, you know, it's interesting if you had a guy who threw 2,500 RPM at 80 miles an hour, that would actually be 31.2 Bauer units. You know, how should that be interpreted as far as, like, is higher better, or what's the best way to look at that? Well, you know, I think it just offers a projection. You know, I think, and that's a big thing, especially in the amateurs. You know, so you have these, we, we've shown the relationship to be pretty linear throughout. Um, when athletes gain velocity, typically that ratio that those power units, that tends to stay the same. And so that was really interesting because if we had an athlete, say, who was rehabilitating like uh, Trey McNutt or Casey Weathers, and they were in here throwing 85 to 88 because they were hurt, uh, and then we could actually take their gross spin rates divided by their velocity and really adjust and say, okay, you know, once you get back to 95, if you get back to 95, it's very likely that this will be your profile. And based on that, that's how we're going to teach you how to pitch. You know, this is, these are the things that we found that are successful in the sabermetric community. Uh, these are the things, these are the outcomes that we tend to project. Um, so for a large sample of pitchers, it's, it's definitely all over the place. But, you know, when you have guys like Andrew Bailey was one of our clients, and Andrew has one of the highest uh, adjust, velocity-adjusted spin rates. And so for him, it was just saying, like, okay, we think this will be the most successful way to go about it. Here's kind of, um, here's kind of how we see it. And so that's, that's kind of how we use the data. Uh, you, just, you just mentioned something interesting, uh, and I've, I know you've tweeted about it before, you know, adjusted velocity spin rate. And, you know, we've kind of gotten in, into using raw spin rate because I think it's, it's something that's so new to the general public. That's the easiest way to get people to understand it. But, you know, kind of go back to what you said before, you adjust spin rate for velocity, and you found that to be a, a more useful metric as far as movement goes? Absolutely. You know, and then there's so much more about it with extension and so on and so forth. Dr. Alan Nathan's work is great because you can apply, you know, his really complicated stat cast or his really complicated track man analysis uh, equations and algorithms to movement. And it offers just such an interesting projection. I'm so excited about stat cast because I think it really offers us a look into pitching and baseball and how hitters perceive stuff that uh, is unprecedented. And, you know, we're only scratching the surface, as you well know, and so I'm really excited about it. 
Now, uh, now we were talking about Trevor Bauer a second ago, and, and uh, both Trevor and you are kind of characters in Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, which came out a couple months ago that I'm in, in the midst of reading. And Bauer said something pretty interesting in the book that I, he basically said something along the lines of, you know, I think I was blessed with an 80-mile-per-hour arm, but, like, I added 20 miles an hour based on proper training and dedication. Do you think that's actually the case? And could, like, your average high school pitcher add, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour doing what, what Bauer did? Um, I, th I think it just, it's, um, you know, not to give a cop-out answer. It definitely depends. You know, Trevor, it is true in high school when Trevor was pitching as a freshman, uh, he offered very limited projection. He was an upper 70s, mid-70s guy. So he was definitely not a big prospect. Um, and, you know, through a lot of diligent hard work and really what is obsession, you know, he's, he's changed uh, quite a bit, even in his pro career. Uh, I definitely think that any amateur pitcher can make very large strides. Whether they can get to 90-95 depends. Uh, injury is a large factor in dedication. Um, however, I, I, you know, he is, in all the generic tests that we do, he's got a, you know, I'm sure Trevor would admit himself, he's got a very bad vertical jump, uh, very bad, um, you know, sprinting speed. Uh, he's not especially explosive. There's all these basic markers that you would expect to see in someone who can throw that hard, uh, and, he, and he meets none of them. And so it, it's truly, clearly there's some, some factor of luck, there's some factor of variance that plays into what your ultimate genetic ceiling is, and then there's a clear amount of work what that ratio is, is is tough to say. And so, I, I, but I definitely believe Trevor's more right than he is wrong, I would say. Now, Barris looked pretty good for Cleveland this year, but even for him, for someone who probably knows more about the actual math and science behind this than just about any other pitcher, his spin rate hasn't changed that much since last year, and, and I know that he's tried. And so I'm curious, in your opinion, is there really anything other than a massive grip change that you can do to, to add spin, or is it really just like all natural God-given talent? Well, you know, it's definitely natural. There's definitely that's a large component. But what we've seen is athletes. We have a, we had about 150 college athletes this summer, and a large percentage of them had trained using our you know weighted balls and our mechanical training and, and other concepts. And we have a crop. I'm very excited. We have a crop of guys who have just unreal spin rates. We have a lefty who sits 86 to 88, and his spin rate is above 2600, his average rate. And so that would that 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 implies. 100 mile an hour fastball, 3,000, you know, RPM. Uh, and so whether or not that translates to the massive extremes is tough to say, but we know we're on to something in the facility, and it's something that we haven't really disclosed. Um, but it, it, we know we're on to something um, here. But then why hasn't Trevor gained any uh, velocity-adjusted spin rate? Why hasn't his gone up? And then we think that there's probably some sort of primary programming. You know, once, once you choose something to train and you change your mechanics in a way, you change your physiology in a way at a younger age in the college or amateur ranks before you become, you know, a pro and throwing 200 innings. There seems to be a window of adapt, you know, adaptability, and um, we're not really sure what it is, but we're really excited because we have guys that, you know, are we have 10 college pitchers that would have, you know, in the top 1% of uh, of spin rates in um, in the MLB, and so why is that? And then uh, it's really interesting. And then we've had big leaguers throw off the mound like Trevor and so forth, and. We know our TrackMan system is calibrated right because those people have the exact same spin rates they would in games when you adjust for velocity. So, you know, we know the numbers are right, but we don't know why that is. And, um, you know, that, that's what drives me, you know, every day to wake up and look at spin rates and really try to figure this stuff out because I think it's fascinating. Well, on the topic of how to create spin, uh, I've seen Garrett Richards, who has the single highest individual spin rate curveball, say that he thinks he has long fingers and that creates spin. And then we had Seth Lugo, who starts tonight for the Mets and has the, uh, the highest average overall curveball spin rate he kind of said the same thing and I thought that was really interesting because here you have big league pitchers saying that and uh, I think I suggested that on Twitter and then you came back to me and you said uh, actually I had joked like oh if only StatCast could measure finger length and then you came back to me on Twitter and you said well 
I have all these pictures here in our facility, so I did exactly that. I measured finger length and I tried to co correlate that to spin rate. And uh, it sounds like there's really not not much there. There is that right? That's right. Yeah, you know, we measured uh, finger length. We measured a lot of anatomical factors because we hypothesized spin rate has something to do with your anatomy. You know how long your limbs are and fingers and kinematics. You know your mechanics, dynamics, so a static and a and a dynamic component. Um, the mechanic stuff is still a good theory. We don't exactly know the mechanism, but the static stuff was really thoroughly debunked. You know, um, we measured finger length, index finger length, middle finger length, adjusted for collinearity. We measured elbow to hand, which is another factor because some people have very long forearms. Uh, we measured, um, you know, armpit to elbow, so the humerus length, um, and that none of that in a multiple regression had any correlation at all. Uh, and then you, but it's bolstered by people, someone like C.J. Edwards has really long fingers and has extremely high spin rate. Uh, but then you have people like Josh Tomlin who have sh smaller hands uh, and have, you know, one of the highest, if not the highest, uh, velocity-adjusted fastball spin rates. Um, and so, you know, what is it? Josh Tomlin says he death grips the ball, so maybe it's forearm fatigue. But then we have another guy who sinks the ball, and he's, you know, he does the same thing. So it's a... Uh, it's a super interesting thing, and and the best part about talking to big leaguers, whether their theories are wrong or not, is that they they have them and they're testable hypotheses, and and that's what we need, and that's why it's really exciting to have you know we'll have 75 pro guys here this off season, so. You know, I'm looking forward to putting in another four months of solid research on it. I should mention to anybody who's going to listen to the rest of the show that Kyle is not in the studio and can't see my notes where we're actually going to talk about Carl Edwards' uh, fastball spin later on. They're <laughs> <laughs> like jumping ahead, which is great. Uh, but I, I just want to know when you when you did all those measurements, was that was there any difference on uh, you know fastballs, curveballs, other kind of pitches? You know, fastballs are it's because um, because it's such a true, almost not a 12-6, but you know, 6-12 backspin. Obviously, you adjust for arm slot. Uh, it's, and it's the hardest thrown ball. That, that's the one we wanted to go with. There was so much variability with curveballs and sliders, uh, which is seen in just pitch effects data. You know, if you watch, if you look at the Statcast data from MLB uh, Baseball Savant and Darren Sight, you can clearly tell that there is some large variation of spin rate. But then that manifests itself in pitch effects data and has for years. If you look at the cluster of sliders or curveballs that someone throws. Uh, the movement profile is all over the place, and that's because there's a gyroscopic component. Your fingers are on top of the ball or on the side of the ball. Uh, you're trying to do something different with it. Whereas fastballs, you're, you're pretty much repeating your mechanics extremely, you know, the same way. You're trying to do the same thing, and they're much more tightly clustered. Uh, so it just depends on the outcome. Plus, there's obviously classification issues. Is it a slider? Some people have been known to throw cutters and sliders. You know, some people throw fastballs and cutters, but sometimes they'll get grouped because you know, clustering algorithms aren't perfect. So it's, it's definitely an interesting thing, but we're trying to focus on fastballs now because we know, uh, we know with a pretty good, um, pretty good uh, confidence on how they throw them and, and uh, what to look for. Now, in the past, conventional wisdom has sort of said, like, pitchers should pitch to establish their fastball, and it also suggested part of that is because breaking pitches are more damaging on the arm. But we've sort of seen guys like Rich Hill and Drew Pomeranz revive their careers relying heavily on their breaking stuff. Is there any truth to the old, like, idea that breaking pitches are more damaging on the arm? And should more pitchers, if they have, like, a standout breaking ball, be relying more on that and pitching backwards, so to speak? Well, you know, the current conventional wisdom um, has kind of shifted in that there's enough research out there uh, on, in basic biomechanical studies that show that the curveball is uh, potentially uh, not, not, not more stressful. Uh, I think that would be the best way to put it. There's no, there's no way to say it's, it's safer. Um, but it is. It seems to be with elbow load and torque seems to be lower or the same. However, there's other research that's coming out by people like Dr. Jimmy Buffy, who got hired away from my company by the Dodgers. You know, no sour grapes. But he was looking at more of the muscle contributions to the elbow. Very new stuff. Like instead of looking at, okay, the elbow as a structure has this load. 
you know, what are the muscle adaptations? What is the real tensile strength on the ulnar collateral ligament? And um, that's what the research is going on right now. It's called forward dynamics research. Uh, we're continuing it. I know obviously the Dodgers are looking into it. Uh, but that's the stuff that um, really excites me because instead of saying, you know, the mechanics are this, we can say, hey, the anatomy internally, this seems to be what happens. And um, that, that's what I'm excited about. And so there's no real way to know, um, you know, breaking pitches to me. If that's what's going to revive your career and you find a lot of success in it, then there's no real evidence out there that says it's a bad idea. You know, so uh, I think you see the game trending that way. You know, percentage of fastballs drops every year. The percentage of cutters and sliders continues to move up. And, um, you know, I think we're, that's just the new reality of the game. Now, among the many cool things that you're doing uh, at Driveline Baseball is sort of turning players into prospects, whether that's because they were injured or they just didn't have the velocity in the first place. And uh, if um, if I understand correctly, that's what you presented about at this month's Sabre Seminar, right? The application of risk-adjusted training. Uh, so just tell us a little bit about, uh, about what you presented there. I did, yeah. I talked a little bit about, you know, what we call risk-adjusted training. You know, inside an organization, you know, you have a number of players who are deemed, you know, non-prospects or organizational players, and they don't appear on the fan graphs or MLB.com, top 30, top 100 players in the system. Um, and so then these players, you know, they, they need to field teams, and not to sound crass about it, but that's kind of what the minor leagues are about. But, you know, a lot of the talent comes from these, um, you know, these, these ranks of people, guys like Matt Moore, um, people that were traded to the Yankees, Ben Heller, who made the big leagues, J.P. Fireisen traded in the Andrew Miller trade. These guys are very good pitchers who signed for $5,000, $10,000, signed from small Division three NAI schools who were afforded the opportunity with Cleveland to try a more aggressive training program and say, hey, you know, we, we don't necessarily know the risks of this. Our disabled list data shows that we have the lowest number of DL days in the minors. You know, we seem to be onto something, but reality, we're not sure. You know, but we do know this program increases velocity, and, and that may, you know, make you a prospect. And sure enough, J.P. and Ben and many other people with the Indians and other organizations that we work with um, have seen a lot of success in doing that, and it, it gives them an opportunity to really take control of their career. You know, guys like Trey McNutt, Casey Weathers, um, you know, former very large prospects, too, who suffer from injury can, can see, um, you know, major assistance, and, and other examples like Scott Casimir, too. I specifically wanted to ask you about Trey McNutt. And so for those people who don't know him, uh, he was at one point a very highly regarded prospect. Uh, entering 2011, he was the number three overall Cubs prospect for Baseball America, one of the top 50 in all the minors. Uh, hurt his arm, couldn't top 88 miles an hour, got released, began to work with you. And uh, now, from what I hear, he's hitting 99 miles an hour in A for the Padres. So, you know, that's a pretty impressive success story. And tell us a little bit about, you know, what kind of work a pitcher has to go through to really kind of rebuild his career like that. Yeah, you know, Trey was at one point, you know, a top three prospect and the top pitching prospect with the Cubs. Um, and he was a 93 to 95 guy, you know, could root four pitches for strikes, you know, really dominating pitcher. Uh, and then he had a hip surgery and then he had a, a shoulder surgery, labrum reconstruction. Uh, he kind of rushed back from rehab or just didn't feel good about it. He threw in the Arizona um, in rookie ball in the fall uh, and he was, you know, 88 tops. And so the Cubs released him and uh, he knew Casey Weathers and a few other people with the Cubs that we trained so he came out here, and, I mean, it was bad. You know, he threw, and uh, his mechanics were a mess, and hit, and we really didn't even let him throw baseballs, honestly, for months. You know, we put him through a rigorous rehab program just to get his arm strength back and appropriate reception and feel and strength. He was losing weight, so we had to make sure that he ate and put on weight. Um, and then, you know, eventually he did a lot of weighted ball training. He did a lot of plyo training, plyometric training. Um, and then his velocity kept going up and up and up. And the pitchability was always there. The internal, you know, his ability was always there. He always had, you know, a strong genetic makeup. He was a really good athlete. And so it was about kind of working around his injuries to get him back. He threw a pen in front of about 20 scouts. You know, he had 15 offers. Uh, the Padres gave him the best option. 
the Padres, you know, use a lot of our stuff. Um, and so the Padres said, you know, you can come on in. He played with Mark Pryor, and Mark Pryor is the coordinator. And Mark said, you know, anything you got to do. Obviously, Mark's dealt with a lot of injuries, so he knows the mentality. And so Trey felt really good there. He got there. He unfortunately had had labrum cleanup, a minor surgery. Uh, he was out for a month or two. And then, you know, they assigned him to double uh, to rookie ball and then double A, and he's never thrown harder. You know, he's been up to 99. He's sitting 96 to 98 every outing. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Padres, I can't say enough good things about what they've done for him. They've accommodated him, uh, and he's worked, his, you know, he's worked his butt off to really get there, and so it's, it's a great success story. Well, that's really cool to hear because I always respect, uh, you know, anything that's really data-driven, and it's not just we do it this way because it's always been done this way, uh, and that is what, Kyle, you're doing out there because, you know, we're here looking at the numbers, and you're actually out there with the actual players in front of the, the cameras, and uh, it's very cool stuff. So file, follow Kyle Bodie at Driveline Basis. He's the founder of Driveline Baseball, doing some really cool stuff. I've learned a lot from following him on Twitter. Kyle, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I really appreciate it. So as I mentioned, while we had Kyle on the line, he kind of jumped ahead from 3,000 miles away and looked over my shoulder at my notes here and mentioned uh, Carl Edwards, uh, formerly known as C.J. Edwards, I guess, uh, from the Chicago Carl Edwards Cubs. Jr., let's... Fair. Uh, it does say Edwards Jr. on the back of his jersey, so we might Does as well. it really? Yeah. Okay, well, that's good to know. Uh, I think a lot of people don't really know much about Carl Edwards because he's, uh, he's a young guy who just came up, and obviously the Cubs have an endless amount of stars and talent on that team. Carl Edwards has been really, really impressive, and we've, we've seen him a couple times this year on these MLB Plus games, and we're going to see him a couple times next week. Uh, right now, there are 449 pitchers who have thrown 20 innings, and he is one of them. He has the second-best batting average on balls in play against, which means that when hitters make contact, he's only got a 178 average against, which is phenomenal. He's also got the lowest contact excuse me, not the lowest contact percentage, the fourth lowest contact percentage in baseball. And if you look at the list here, Zach Britton's on that list. Edwin Diaz is on that list. Andrew Miller. Craig Kimbrell, Chapman, it's a phenomenal list. It's Jose Fernandez. It's an incredible list to be on. And the reason we bring it up here is because he has the second highest fastball spin in baseball uh, at 2660 uh, RPMs, where the average is about 2200. So that's a considerable jump up. And he also throws at 97 miles an hour. So if you can throw it really hard, that's good. If you can throw it really hard with high spin, that's better because not only does it, it come onto the hitter faster than he'll think, it'll stay up. It's if you hear late life, that is the definition of late life right there. And I also, this is a, a bit of a more of a subjective factor, but I also wonder coming out of his slight frame, if it's even a little like deceiving for a hitter because he's like he's not a five ten, like one hundred sixty pounds, he's soaking wet. Yeah. So I wonder how much of a factor that becomes also just sort of an added little dimension to to make him stand out because like you know, Max Scherzer's on this list. Justin Verlander's on this list. Those are big guys. You sort of expect that kind of stuff coming out of their hand. When it's coming out of a guy that's that size, it's got to be a little bit different. And it's it's so Cubs to just like you know pull these guys out of the minors and say, oh, he's great now. By the way, he's going to be in our bullpen along with with Chapman and everybody else. But he was. I mean, he was. I mean, he was. He was the big name when they got back from Matt Garza from Texas, or he was. In a span of two years, they traded uh, they traded Dempster and Garza to Texas, and they got. Carl Edwards, and they got Justin Grimm, who's been pretty good for them, and uh, Kyle Hendricks, who may win the Cy Young this year. <laughs> so as far as when you have to sell, that's a pretty good way to sell. So anyway, uh, Carl Edwards, someone who's really interesting. Watch him with the Cubs. I know everybody wants to focus on Chapman. Watch Carl Edwards. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Uh, speaking of Texas, you know that you Darvish is, is back now. He missed all last year. He did a home run last year. night. He did a home run last night. <laughs> you might be shocked to know I'm actually not here to talk about you Darvish hitting a home run last night, though it was very cool. Uh, and what I realized... You know, since he missed the entire first year of StatCast while he was out being injured and in the early part of this year, we didn't have any StatCast data on him. And uh, it's a, it's fun to have a big name like that where suddenly we're getting new information on. So he's made 11 starts since he's come back, and he's been pretty good. 291 ERA, career-best walk rate, 81 strikeouts, 65 innings. That's great. 
what we've learned is he's also got a high spin fastball. Uh, we looked at all the guys, uh, and it's the same list that Carl Edwards is number two on, by the way. He is number eight on that list of the highest spin fastballs. And, you know, as you said, Verlander and Scherzer, Chapman's on that list. And uh, it's interesting because we've always looked at you, Darvish, as a guy who's had just like a wide stable of pitches. You know, no, the hitter never really knows what's coming next. But part of it is just his fastball's really pretty good, right? <laughs> This does not surprise me, by the way. <laughs> it shouldn't. A 190 average against on his fastball. And so far this year, better than ever. Swinging strike percentage was 6 the year before he got hurt, 6%, and now it's 14%. So if the Rangers can go to the playoffs with you, Darvish, and Cole Hamels, uh, maybe they got something going there. Maybe. Just maybe. Maybe. Uh, and then finally, as far as injured pitchers coming back on teams who very badly need help at the top of the rotation, Rich Hill finally made his debut last night for the Dodgers. Six shutout innings. They won one nothing. They are three games up on San Francisco. And uh, the Dodgers recently tied a major league record for the most disabled distance in a season with the famous 2012 Boston Red Sox, the, the, the chicken and beer chicken Red beer. Sox, who finished in last place. Well, the Dodgers are in first place. And they've, they, the fact they haven't collapsed without Kershaw, I think, is phenomenal. Now Rich Hill is here. And, you know, people, I think, wanted to know, this guy's 36 years old. He's always hurt. A year ago, no joke, he was playing for the Long Island Ducks in the Independent League. The Dodgers played a th traded three pretty good prospects for him and Josh Reddick. You know, is he worth the effort? And it turns out he is. Because, you know, since he came back, he's got the second lowest ERA only to Clayton Kershaw. Since he came back last year. Since he came back last yeah, right. year. Right. Uh, he And how does he do it? He really only throws two pitches. He throws a fastball and he throws a curveball. And the fastball has the sixth highest fastball spin in baseball. And the curveball has the fourth highest fastball spin in baseball. And this kind of goes back to what you asked Kyle about, right? Is uh, pitchers, they kind of work off the fastball and then mix in, their, mix in their breaking pitches. And he had done that until he got to AAA last year with the Red Sox, where he met Brian Bannister, who's a former guest on the show, who is uh, one of their pitching coaches. And Bannister said, you've got very high curveball spin. Your curveball's great. You should throw it more. And he basically did that. Right, and now he throws it fifty percent of the time, which is the highest of any pitcher in baseball. And I also wonder with those two, with those two, there's like a, it seems to be a great relationship there, right? Because your fastball, because of, I should say, the curveball because of its high spin rate is going to break a little more than the hitter would expect, and the forcing fastball because of the high spin is going to kind of stay up. Right. So it's like they're both kind of going in the opposite directions of what they're. Like to, it adds even more deception to the two pitches because they work going. One is like re, essentially rising a little more than you expect, and one is going to drop a little more than you expect. Right, and he doesn't even throw that hard. He throws like 90, 91, you know. And but you're right, that fastball stays up, and the curveball drops. So he throws the fastball high, he throws the curveball low, and he's become basically unhittable. I, I know, I, I know. I asked Kyle about this, but this is going to become like my new thing with pitchers. I, I this seems to be a, there seems to be a lot of this model, this Rich Hill, Drew Pomerantz model seems to be. Uh, a, a way for certain pitchers to break through and it could be a new model for for starting pitchers where it's like okay I've got this amazing breaking pitch I really only need two pitches if I can you know this is a pitch that can get righties and lefties out and I can just use, use it with my fastball and I really don't need a third pitch and I wonder if this could be a uh, a model because it's always been the conventional wisdom has always been starting pitchers need a third pitch to turn a lineup over a third time and I'm not sure if that's the case particularly also with teams letting fewer and fewer pitchers turn a lineup over a third time. Well, that's true, but if you only have two pitches, they both better be real good. This is true. And I do wonder what might have happened if Rich Hill thought about this when he was 24 years old back with the Cubs <laughs> when he was trying to replace Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. So anyway, Rich Hill, I think we can kind of say for certain, is the real deal. If he can stay healthy for more than 10 consecutive minutes, which he hasn't proven yet, because if they can have Hill and Kershaw going into the playoffs, those are two aces. I know Rich Hill doesn't like give you memories of Zach Greinke, 
But he's been more effective. And Maeda's pretty good, too. And Kenta Maeda's pretty good, too. Dodgers are an absolutely fascinating team for about a million different reasons. So anyway, Rich Hill, finally back. Uh, he used that high spin last night. It looked really good. So uh, that's our show this week. I'm Mike Petriello. He's Matt Myers. Thanks to our guest, Kyle Bodie of Driveline Baseball, who was fascinating. This is the StatCast Podcast. We will catch you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.